It's certainly an honor and a privilege to come together this morning to worship the Lord of hosts, worship the King of kings, to worship our Savior and our Redeemer. I want to extend a, a welcome to our visitors this morning. It's excellent to see uh, this number out on this Lord's Day. There are any number of things that humans can find to do on a, a beautiful Sunday morning, but it is a joyous thing to see like-minded people gathering together, worshiping the same God. First Chronicles number, uh, chapter 21 is where we're going to spend uh, some time this morning. First Chronicles chapter 21. We've talked a lot in, uh, in times past, whether in Bible classes or um, in just conversations amongst each other about sacrifices. And so we're going to look at uh, an, kind of a different idea of sacrifices this morning. Uh, we've looked at Jesus as our high priest. We have understood what it means for a high priest to make a sacrifice. A high priest sacrifices for the entire people. We saw how Jesus was that for us. Jesus was not only the sacrifice, but he was the one to dole out the sacrifice as our high priest. We've talked about um, on when, this past Wednesday night um, in our, our Bible study here at the building of us as a royal priesthood and a priesthood of necessity takes care of some sacrifices. And we looked at a little bit of how we can sacrifice as well. And when we think of sacrifices, we typically think Old Testament. That's okay. Um, I think we're right in thinking that. We can go to Leviticus and see a plethora of sacrifices and all the, the rites and rituals that were entold there. We think of bulls and goats and animal sacrifices. But with this morning, what I want us to focus on, and the point that I really want to stress, is that God still requires a sacrifice. And so we're going to spend some time in 1 Chronicles chapter 21. We know that we're under a new priesthood. We know that we're under a new law. We worship the same God, however. It's the same God as what we're going to read of here in 1 Chronicles. It's the same God that is the Father of our Savior, Jesus. It's the same God that our brethren in Philippi, our brethren in Jerusalem in the first century worshipped. It's the same God, and He still requires sacrifices. Things that we give have changed. We don't offer bulls and goats and, and uh, doves or grains or anything like that anymore. The Hebrew writer points that out. Well, we'll go to Hebrews a little later on today. But we're going to space, pay special attention this morning to the attitude at which we approach our sacrifices. And then for those of you that are writing notes or uh, Miss Susan who's going to title the lesson, if you need a title for this lesson, here's your title. I will not sacrifice that which costs me nothing. Here's your title. It's a long title. It's, it's as small as I can get it down to. I will not sacrifice that which costs me nothing. So we're going to keep that theme in mind as we progress through. All right, First Chronicles chapter 21. Beginning in verse 1, the scripture reads, Now Satan stood up against Israel and moved David to number Israel. So David said to Joab and to the leaders of the people, Go, number Israel from Beersheba to Dan, and bring the number of them to me that I may know it. And Job answered, May the Lord make his people a hundred times more than they are. But my Lord, the king, are they not all my Lord's servants? Why then does my Lord require this thing? Why should he be a cause of guilt in Israel? Well, we know that this was a cause of guilt in Israel. God is displeased with this. David wants to number the people. He wants to take a census. Censuses 
um, were, were used. They were authorized by God in times past. But we read that God was displeased with this one. And I think there's a couple reasons for this. This angered God um, because, Dave, David, uh, because God did not ask David to do this, first of all. Other censuses, God has asked the leaders of the time of Israel to take that census. God does not ask David to do this. Uh, and more importantly, though, um, it, it seems as if David is relying on military might and numbers rather than military might and God. If you, you look back in, in chapters 19 and 20, it recounts a lot of uh, war time that was going on. Various states are fighting various states. And so David, wanting to have a count for what he's got ready to go, puts more emphasis on the numbers of his men rather than knowing that he can fight a thousand men with twenty with God on his side. So God is angry at this thing. If we turn to Leviticus 26, we can see that uh, they were taking over the land that was promised by God. Leviticus chapter 26 and verse 8 specifically. God, God tells them this thing. God tells them, five of you shall chase a hundred, and a hundred of you shall put ten thousand to flight. Your enemies shall fall by the sword before you. So it's not about the numbers with God. It's about knowing that God is on your side to take care of the things that God has asked you to do. God told them to conquer the land. God is not going to leave them, leave them hanging with this with just a couple of men. Even if there was a couple of men, that'd still be okay. Let's continue reading. Nevertheless, the king's word prevailed against Joab. Therefore, Joab departed and went throughout all Israel and came to Jerusalem. And Joab goes and takes the sum of the number of the people. The number was 1,100,000 men who drew the sword, and Judah had 470,000. They didn't count Levi or Benjamin. But in verse 7, we read, God was displeased with this thing, therefore he struck Israel. Actions have consequences. David is knowledgeable of that fact. David will go his whole life knowing that actions have consequences, and he finds this thing out here. So David has said to God, I have sinned greatly because I've done this thing, but now I pray, take away the iniquity of your servant, for I've done very foolishly. I think this is an honest, an honest prayer. I think that David here recognizes his mistake and is praying to God earnestly and honestly. Verse 9, Then the Lord spoke to Gad, David's seer, saying, Go and tell David, saying, Thus says the Lord, I offer you three things. Choose one of them for yourself, that I may do it to you. God gives three choices of consequences. Let's three, read through what some of these choices are. Gad came to David and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Choose for yourself either three years of famine, three months to be defeated by your foes with the sword of your enemies overtaking you, or else for three days the sword of the Lord the plague in the land, with the angel of the Lord destroying throughout all the territory of Israel. So God's three choices here for consequences are, you can have, it works in a, a multitude of three, you can have three years of famine, you can have three days of pestilence, three days of um, plague by the hand of God, or you can have three months to be defeated. So David said to Gad, this is verse 13, I'm in great distress. Please let me fall into the hand of the Lord, for his mercies are very great. But don't let me fall into the hand of a man. So here what, what um, David chooses, he chooses to take the plague of the Lord. Three days of a plague. Rather than falling 
by the hand of his enemies. And that, that fits with David's character. He was not going to lose a fight. Not going to lose a fight, especially because of him. So he says, let me continue to win my battles, but if I have to choose one, let me choose the three days of pestilence from the Lord. And that's what he, God sends on. Verse 14, the Lord sent a plague upon Israel. 70,000 men fell. God sent an angel to Jerusalem to destroy it. And as he was destroying, the Lord looked and relented of the disaster and said to the angel who was destroying, It's enough. Restrain your hand. And the angel of the Lord stood by the threshing floor of Ornan, the Jebusite. Keep that name in your mind because Ornan will come up in just a second. David lifted his eyes and saw the angel of the Lord standing between earth and heaven, having in his hand a drawn sword stretched out over Jerusalem. And so David and the elders, clothed in sackcloth, fell on their faces. And David said to God, Was it not I who commanded the people to be numbered? I'm the one who has sinned and done evil indeed. But these sheep, what have they done? Let your hand, I pray, O Lord, my God, be against me and my father's house, but not against your people, that they should be plagued. So here David uh, is, is extremely remorseful. David recognizes his own fault in, in commanding a census to be taken. He... Um, wants the hand of God to be against himself, David and his household, rather than against his people. Certainly a noble thing for a king. And so the Lord relents and commands David to build an altar. Let's continue reading. The angel of the Lord commanded Gad to say to David that David should go and erect an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. So David went at the word of Gad, which he had spoken in the name of the Lord. Now Ornan turned and saw the angel and his four sons who were with him hid themselves, but Ornan continued threshing wheat. So David came to Ornan, and Ornan looked and saw David, and he went out from the threshing floor and bowed before David with his face to the ground. Ornan was a subject of David. So the king comes up, probably with a train of people behind him as kings normally go up, and as a good subject, Ornan, Jebusite, Jebusite, um, this is how I came across this. I was researching Jerusalem. Jerusalem used to be called Jebus, and so whenever you see Jebusites here, those are people of Jerusalem. And so Jeb the Jebusites are now under the authority of King David, so as a good citizen, he kneels before him. Bowed before David with his face to the ground. Verse 22, David said to Ornan, Grant me the place of this threshing floor, that I may build an altar on it to the Lord. You shall grant it to me at the full price, that the plague may be withdrawn from the people. God has said the plague will be withdrawn if you erect an altar at this place. And so Ornan said to David, Take it. Take it to yourself, and let my lord the king do what is good in his eyes. Look, I'll also give you the oxen for the burnt offerings, the threshing implements for the wood, and the wheat for all the grain offering. I, I give it all. And, and once again, a, a pretty common thing for a subject to come up and say, well, King, just take it. You're the king. I'm not going to... I'm not going to demand you pay anything for it. Here, just take it. I'll even give you the grain. I'll give you the ox. I'll give you all of these things. And the attitude I want to focus on this morning is David's in this next, this next point. This is, Ornan has said, I will give it all. Verse 24, especially. Then King David said to Ornan, No, but I will surely buy it for the full price. For I will not take what is yours for the Lord nor offer burnt offerings with that which cost me nothing. And so David gave Ornan 600 shekels of gold by weight for the place. David built an altar to the Lord, and he offered all the burnt <coughs> offerings. He called on the Lord, and he answered him from heaven by fire on the altar of the burnt offering. So the Lord commanded his angel, and he returned his sword to the sheep. 
And at the time when David saw that the Lord had answered him on the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite, he sacrificed there for the tabernacle of the Lord and the altar of the burnt offering, which Moses had made in the wilderness, were at that time at the high place in Gibeon. But David could not go before it to inquire of God, for he was afraid of the sword of the angel of the Lord. And so eventually this place that we come to read as Ornan's threshing floor goes on to be the place of the tabernacle. The temple is built on this place later on. Uh, we can read through chapter 22. You can read through it at your, at your leisure. Um, David says, I've got a son named Solomon. I'm going to set things up so that he can build a temple to God. But what I want us to focus on and stress about this morning is David's attitude. David's attitude was that of sacrifice. David realized it wasn't a sacrifice if it didn't cost him anything. It would have been very easy for David the king to go to Ornan and say, give me this place, give me an ox, and here's my sacrifice. But what I want to present to us this morning is that I don't think that God would have accepted that sacrifice. It didn't cost him anything. And David, as a remorseful man doing the will of God, trying to get this plague withdrawn from his people, recognizes that fact and says, I'm not going to sacrifice that which costs me nothing. So I want to take a second and, and look at improper sacrifices, uh, plagues, um, improper sacrifices have plagued God's people since God put people on this earth. You can think of Cain and Abel. Um, there was one that was pleasing and one that was not. I think was, one of those was an improper sacrifice. Uh, we can think of the golden calf. Whenever Moses is receiving the law of God, all of these thunderings and lightnings are going on, and they decide to build a golden calf, most certainly an improper sacrifice. They have the wrong places of worship. Uh, we read the tabernacle now is in Gibeon for some reason. Uh, it was in a, a wrong place, having improper places of worship. And in the New Testament, we read of most certainly wrong attitudes in worship from the so-called religious leaders of the day. Turn with me to Malachi chapter 1. Let's look at this idea of improper sacrifices for a second. Keeping in our minds this idea that I will not sacrifice that which costs me nothing. Malachi, the last book in the Old Testament... Right before Matthew. Malachi chapter 1, and we'll begin reading in verse 6. A son honors his father, and a servant his master. If then I'm the father, this is God speaking, where is my honor? And if I'm a master, where is my reverence, says the Lord of hosts, to you priests who despise my name. God expects honor, most certainly from his priest. And we've seen how we are supposed to be a royal priesthood. Malachi here points out that God demands honor, especially from his priest. God expects honor from children to father. We call ourselves children of God. Malachi 1 and verse 6 states that we have to honor our father. We have to honor our master as servants of him. Continuing in verse 6, Yet you say, In what way have we despised your name? You've offered defiled food on my altar. But say, in what way have we defiled you? By saying the table of the Lord is contemptible. And when you offer the blind as a sacrifice, is it not evil? And when you offer the lame and the sick, is it not evil? Offer to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you favorably, says the Lord of hosts. These are real things that happened in Israel. They did bring the blind. They brought the lame. They brought the sick. Is that what God expects of us? To bring the blind, the lame, and the sick. Those are, those are easy. 
if we're going to offer our best, we, we've talked about that on our, Sunday, on our Sunday morning classes, but if we're focusing on our attitude, I'm not going to offer to God what costs me nothing. Blind cow doesn't cost much, I would assume. A lame cow, a lame whatever, doesn't cost much. A sick anything doesn't cost much. doesn't cost anything. And yet, they were offering that to God. And, and God even points out, think about this secularly. Would you offer this lame cow to your governor? Would you offer that to King David? Would you offer this to anything? And we put it in real world terms for us today. The, the president or the governor of our state is coming, coming over. Um, are we going to go and reach into the back of the uh, fridge and get the leftovers that have a little bit of mold on them and put that on the table? Most certainly not. That's what these people were doing at this time. They were offering the lame, they were offering the sick and the blind to God. Continuing in verse 9. Uh, look just one second in verse 8. Would he accept you favorably? That would not be a favorable thing says the Lord of hosts. And the Lord of hosts is saying that I am not going to accept favorably your sacrifice. But now entreat God's favor that he may be gracious to us while this is being done by your hands. Will he accept you favorably, says the Lord of hosts? Who is there even among you who would shut the doors so that you would not kindle fire on my altar in vain? I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, nor will I accept an offering from your hands. We read in, in Matthew that the Pharisees, Sadducees, the scribes, the religious leaders of the day, so-called, were just checking boxes. They were saying that, I'm offering a cow. Here's my cow. Just so happens to be an old, sick, blind, lame cow. But check that box. We're good to go. That's not what God accepts. We read that God does not accept offerings that cost us nothing. The attitude was displeasing to God. He wants the best. He doesn't want the leftovers. And, and why? Why does God want this? Verse 11 tells us in Malachi chapter 1. For from the rising of the sun, even to its going down, my name shall be great among the nations. In every place incense shall be offered to my name, and a pure offering. For my name shall be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. Why does he not accept these sacrifices? Why does he not accept things that cost us nothing? Because his name is to be great. Not just amongst his people, but amongst the nations. Some might read that as, as Gentiles. And this is a book written to, to Jews. When he mentions Gentiles, his name is to be great amongst everyone. So if us, his people, are offering him sacrifices that don't cost us anything, he doesn't accept those. But you profane it, talking about his name. But you profane it in that you say the table of the Lord is defiled, and its fruit and its food are contemptible. Or that they turn their nose at that, as we'll read in a second. You also say, oh, what a weariness, and you sneer at it, says the Lord of hosts. And you bring the stolen, the lame, the sick. Thus you bring an offering. Should I accept this from your hand, says the Lord? But cursed be the deceiver who has in his flock a male, and takes a vow, but sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name is to be feared among the nations. There, there's a, a phrase here. You also say, oh, what a weariness, and you sneer at it. None of us have ever done that when, when thinking of spiritual things, right? I got to get up on Sunday morning and put on these clothes and get my iron out and make sure everything's taken care of so I can go to this place for a couple of hours. You don't have to show your hands. Anyone ever have that thought, sneered at that? 
Turn your nose about it just for a second. I have. I have. That's not the attitude we're, we're supposed to have. God says, what a weariness. You sneer at it. You bring the stolen, the lame, the sick. I don't think any of us are, are involved in nefarious acts, but is what we're offering costing us something? Cursed be the deceiver who has in his flock a male. You take a vow with this male if someone say, I promise this on my best cat. I promise this, and if I don't follow through, you get my best cat. But at the same time, they're coming with their lame cow to the tabernacle. They're coming with their lame cow to the temple to offer that to God. When they promised a secular thing based on their best male cow out there, God does not have his proper place here. I want to think about spiritual sacrifices now. We've looked at improper sacrifices, recognizing that if it doesn't cost us anything, God does not accept our sacrifice. God still expects sacrifices to be, to be made to him. They're different, though. Romans chapter 12. Turn with me there. Romans chapter 12, and we'll look at verses 1 through 2. Our brethren who are in Rome um, at this time that Paul is writing to are, are primarily a Jewish background. They would have understood the idea of sacrifices. They would have most, most certainly understood Malachi and um, First Chronicles. They would have known those stories. And so Paul here is trying to change the mindset out of physical sacrifices that the Jews would have done. They were still trying to bind physical things on them even when they're under a new law. And so he states to them in chapter 12 and verse 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God. This is your reasonable service. And don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So when we read about giving our bodies as a living sacrifice, we don't put junk into our bodies. We don't do all these things. And we can talk about dietary restrictions on a later day. That's not what I'm talking about. We don't um, treat our bodies as nothing. Uh, when you read this, you can read it as the, the effort that you put forth is a physical sacrifice. The effort that you give to God can also be a spiritual sacrifice. Our bodies are what put forth the effort. Yes. So when we read this, present our bodies a living sacrifice. The effort that your body does for the good of the word of God, for the good of the church, for the good of yourself, your own salvation, that is an acceptable sacrifice. As long as it costs us something. If it, it should become easy to wake up on Sunday morning and come to this place. For some it's very difficult. Um, it should be easy to... Open your scriptures. Study God's word. But for some, it's, it's difficult. That is an acceptable sacrifice. When you are putting forth the effort to do something hard, and this kind of gets into complacency. Maybe it's easy for me now to open up my Bible, but if I'm just sitting there reading it, not really listening to it, not listen, comprehending it, is that a sacrifice? I'm doing the same thing the scribes and Pharisees were doing. I'm checking that box off saying, yes, I have read Romans 12 today. Check the box off. But if I'm not thinking and reflecting on it, making application to my life, that doesn't cost me anything. It's not difficult for me to do that. We should present our bodies 
a living sacrifice. That's the effort that we put forth. Our sacrifices, our spiritual sacrifices today, are also loving sacrifices. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, once again, the, the first two verses of this chapter. If we talk, look at, um, he says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit in chapter 4, whom you are sealed for redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking be put away with you. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God and Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love, as Christ also has loved us, and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God, for a sweet-smelling Aroma. How is how can we offer up a sweet smelling aroma to God? Well, it tells us here. We have to walk in love. And, and that love should cost us something. Love is one of those things that like and love are different. You know, when you're really long, you're really young, I like this person versus I love this person. They're, they're, they're different things. So it's not just I like my brethren. What it says here in Ephesians 5 is that I love my brethren, and our love, as Christ loved, should be our walk in life. There's that effort, Romans chapter 12, and that is our sweet-smelling aroma. That is our sacrifice to God. Hebrews 13, we looked at this a little bit on Wednesday night. Uh, Hebrews 13 talks about praises to God as our sacrifice, and I want us just to remind ourselves of that. Hebrews 13, specifically verse 15 this is uh, the whole book of Hebrews is really talking about sacrifices and how Jesus is now our sacrifice and how we should live um, to, to honor that sacrifice. Therefore, let us go forth to him outside the camp bearing his reproach. For here we have no continuing city, but we seek the one to come. Verse 15. Therefore, by him let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. But don't forget to do good and to share. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. Here we read that praises to God are sacrifices. So are the praises that we're giving to God our best, or are we just doing something that's easy? Are the praises that we're giving to God in our, our daily walk, our, our prayers, our songs, our, our talking with people, we said those could all be praises to God. Are they easy? It's easy to say God is great, and that's an accurate praise. That is that is. Most certainly accurate. And if we approach that with the attitude of knowing that God is great and putting all of our trust and hope in him, that is an acceptable sacrifice. What I want to posit today, though, is if we are saying God is great so that other people look at us and say, okay, well, they believe in God. We're okay now. That's easy. That's not a difficult sacrifice to make. You just fit in with the group. That's all we're doing. So when we say God is great... Back that up with God is great because he loved me. I'm a sinner. Now we can get into something that's difficult to admit. Our sacrifices should cost us something. So praises are our sacrifice. Um, how do we pay for praise to God? If we're looking at a cost-benefit analysis now of praise versus um, sacrifice. Bible study. Beneficial Bible study can be an acceptable sacrifice to God. 
Um, an easy one to think of is the time that we commit to helping others. That has time and effort that goes into it. If that costs us something, that can be an acceptable sacrifice to God. Times on Sundays and Wednesdays encouraging each other with the correct attitude of coming to this place to encourage each other. That can be an acceptable sacrifice to God. And, and verse 16 talks about maybe another aspect in that of benevolence. But don't forget to do good and to share with such sacrifices God is well pleased. That's an easy one to see how um, our, our time and our, our money and our effort can be valued. It can cost us something to do good to someone else. So as we kind of wrap up into a close, I want us to make specific application to, to us as a church and maybe us as individuals. When it comes to spiritual sacrifices, we have many lessons to learn from the Old Testament. And in our Bible classes, we've taken a cursory glance on how um, the priestly class would do this, how the high priest would take care of this sacrifice. We've seen most certainly that sacrifices have to be done properly and sacrifices have to be done um, in a way that has been ordered by God. We see that sacrifices from our, our class on Sunday um, have to be our best. We don't sacrifice the blind and the lame. What we do sacrifice, we sacrifice the first loops. It becomes a little more difficult to give the first of your crop. Well, you've now got to wait until the second part of your crop before you can ever reap the benefits of that, that field that's planted. If I'm giving the best of my cow, well, now I can use that best I've got to wait until something else comes up. Sacrifices should cost us something. We don't give him something that has no cost. So I want us to ask ourselves, does my sacrifice honor God? We read that in Malachi. I'm going to turn back there real quick. Because as we read in the, the first couple verses, I believe it was verse 6. A son honors his father, a servant his master. This is God speaking. If then I'm the father, where's my honor? If I'm the master, where's my reverence? Does our sacrifice that we give, whatever sacrifice you're thinking of right now, does it honor God? God is to be honored all of the day. We read later on here, from sunrise to sunset. It was a Jewish way of saying all the time. All of the day, God's name was to be honored. God's name was to be praised. So think about... The, the acts of worship that we do, if we're a royal priesthood, the acts of worship that we do in our assemblies, our, our forms of sacrifices, we can see that in Scripture, our prayers are sacrifices, our singing is sacrifices, our Bible studies are sacrifices, our um, time can be a sacrifice. So does my singing honor God? That's, that's the only question. Does my singing honor God? Does my praying honor honor God. And we can get into specifics about how we do all of these things well. That's what our, our class on Sunday morning is about. But I just want to take it a step even more basic. Do, is, does what we do honor God? Is it difficult? It's, I, I'll tell you, it's easy for me as, as a song leader. He leadeth me. I can sight read he leadeth me because I've spent time in university and I can, I can read that. But... If I'm not approaching it with the right attitude, if I don't put the time and the effort and the practice into how can this song pair with other songs do well, I don't know that my sacrifice costs me anything. It's, it's easy for me to do that. If I am praying, and we talked about it a little bit, there are times and places where you can have to come up and have to wing a prayer. But even winging it, I, we said this morning, might, might not be the right word. There are times where 
we might need to say something um, quickly, have a, a prayer quickly. But if we're in the right mindset already, as Reagan pointed out this morning, if we're in the right mindset, well, then that comes easily to us. We've already sacrificed something. We've sacrificed putting away worldly thoughts. That's our sacrifice. And thinking about God. And so then when we're praying, that has cost us something. Does our time honor God? This one's, this one's a little easier to see uh, the connection to a, a cost-benefit analysis. Does our time honor God? And you can, you can divvy out how much time in your day do you spend giving something to God? Uh, how much time do you spend praying to God? How much time do you spend studying God's Word? How much time do you spend talking to others about God? That gets into praise. It's easy for us to go through our day and not mention God once to someone else, but it's difficult to mention God to other people, I find at least, and to have a meaningful conversation with them. Does our time honor God? So as we close, we're, we're going to close with this idea, and I want us to think on this idea this week. I will not offer that which costs me nothing. <clears throat> if it's easy for us, we need to think about, well, how can we kind of step this up a notch? If it's hard for us, that's a good, that's a good sacrifice. Our service to God has to cost us something in this world. And if we are sacrificing things in this world, we read that we will be rewarded richly. The sacrifices that we put out now, that we give to God now, will come back exponentially, not even tenfold, not a hundredfold, not a thousandfold, more than we can comprehend. Our riches will be returned to us. So, as we invest into spiritual things, I pray that our investments will come out in the long run. Because if we are not offering, if we're not putting in, if we're putting in a couple cents, that doesn't, that doesn't get us any riches back. It's easy. It's easy to put in a couple cents. But if our spiritual sacrifices are, are costing us something, something more substantial than just throwing it in every now and then, and then that's how we can be rewarded richly. So I want us to spend the time, I want us to spend the effort, and spend, spend the money. And it's not a money talk, we're not talking about that, but if, if we're giving back to God, we, we spend time, effort, and money. We spend money by driving cars here with gas. We spend money by taking people out to lunch, paying for their meals, talking to them about God. There's, there's an idea of, of sacrificing monetary things. But I want us to spend the time and spend the effort this week. And I want us to not offer something that costs us nothing. Think about the, the, the greatest sacrifice that we've had. The greatest sacrifice that was given to mankind was a life. That of Jesus. Jesus gave his life. And so as we, we, as we come to a close, we think about all these things. Uh, I want to extend the, the invitation of the gospel to, to anyone who may need it. There's the greatest sacrifice that was given to us of all time was Jesus' life. Think about what that cost. That is an acceptable sacrifice. That cost everything that Jesus had. And even he prayed, let it, let it go away from me if you can. But as we read, Jesus went through with that, and that is the greatest thing. And so we can have the redemption... Of, our, of that sacrifice by coming into contact with his blood through the uh, aspect of baptism, being fully immersed in water. We can uh, repent of our sins. We can confess the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We can be immersed into baptism, rise out a new man, rise out a new woman, and go on this path of being a royal priest, being in his kingdom, being in his priesthood, sacrificing daily. Our body should be living sacrifice. And if there's any way that uh, anyone this morning 
needs to respond to this call, I ask you to come forward while we stand and while we sing.